All right, we are in the last week of a series called Faith Works, where we've been looking at the book of James. And just a quick review, the book of James was written by a guy named, guess what his name was? His name was James. James was the half-brother, little brother of Jesus, and he didn't believe in Jesus when Jesus was on earth, but after the resurrection, James said, wow, i got to believe in Jesus because he saw everything that happened, and James very quickly became a leader in the church. He wrote this book to a group of people who had originally been Jewish, but they accepted the message of Christ, and James writes this book to tell people, this is how you live out your faith. And if you want to read a book in the New Testament, that's the most practical teaching about how to live your faith day to day. This is the book to read. If you're just checking out church and just, just wondering, is this Jesus thing for me? Is this church thing for me? Read the book of James, and he will tell you this is how a person who has faith lives their life. You know, often I have people come to me, and they'll, they'll ask me uh, to give them relationship advice. And how can I make this work? And just today, a couple people have come up and, and had some comments about the relationships in their lives and most of the time when I sit down with a, with a husband and I'm talking to him and, and maybe the, the couple's having financial fights or they're having some kind of, uh, you know, he's not spending enough time at home or whatever, I'll say, well, do you, all, do you all talk about it? Well, no. I mean, do you like sit down over dinner and do you look into each other's eyes and do you talk about it? No, we don't. And I say, well, I'm not a counselor, but... If you could just start with communicating with each other, your relationship is going to get healthy. If you've been married for more than a day, you know that communication is key. That being able to communicate how you feel and understand how the other person feels is key to the success of a relationship. Well, the same is true about your relationship with God. To be able to communicate in a way to God and to hear from God in a way that you can understand is essential in having a relationship with your creator. And James has told us how many different areas of our life should be affected by our faith. In this last section in James chapter 5, he tells us that the way or my faith should affect how I communicate with God. It should affect the way I speak. And we're going to be talking about prayer. That's, that's how we talk communication with God. That's just prayer. When I was in junior high school, I had a teacher who, at that time we made fun of him. He was a preacher. He was a, an evangelist. Plus he was a teacher. And I didn't have anything to do with Jesus at that time. So it was easy to make fun of him because he was so serious. He would hand us tracts and he would op- give us all a Bible to read. You get sued for doing that today. But back then you were able to do it and he did it and We made fun of him, but he used to look at me, and he would point at me, and he would say, God is going to do something big in your life, young man. God's got a big plan for you, and I hope you you, want to accept Christ. And I would say, okay, dude, just kind of chill. I'm in here to learn science, not Jesus, okay? And So I would just ignore it. But I moved on from junior high school and, and through high school into college, and he would run into my parents in a little town where I grew up, and he would, he would say, hey, has Don accepted Christ yet? And they would say, no, not yet. And he would say, well, you tell him that God's going to do something big with his life, and I want him to, you tell him I want him to know that. My parents would tell me, hey, I saw your teacher out in town, and he said this, and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then one night, after a long other, series of other things going on in my life, I said yes 
to this message of Jesus Christ that changed my life forever. And he was one of the first people that I called because I knew he'd been praying for me and wanted me to do that and encouraged me to do that for 10 years. So he had to come and see me because he was a traveling preacher and totally stopped teaching at that time. So he comes where I go to school and he pulls up and he's in this old just car that how in the world did it make it the 60 miles for you to come here? And he wants to take me to lunch. So I go and I sit down in the car and, and he turns the ignition, nothing. Turns it again, nothing. Now, this is not a story. This is true. He gets out of the car, goes to the hood, closes his eyes, and he just starts praying really hard. And I'm sitting in the car like, please do not let a, one of my friends walk by while this is going on. He gets back in the car and he cranks it up and it started. I was like, all right, I'm listening now, okay? We go to lunch, talk about life. Several years later, I was living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he came to visit me there because he's this traveling evangelist that goes all over the country. And this time I said, let me drive. So we go and we get in my car, and, and we're driving to lunch, and I, I pull out in front. I pull across this busy highway, and I, there's a car I didn't see, and it just it slams on its brakes. I'm stopped like you know, deer in the headlights look, and he starts praying, and he's from a different tradition than me, so he's praying, and I don't understand what he's saying, and he's praying that this, this car misses us, I think's what he said, and it missed us. Would I have accepted Christ anyway? Would that car have started on the next turn anyway? Would the driver been able to maneuver around us anyway, even if he had not prayed? James would say, no. James would say, no, all those things happened in your life, Donnie, because somebody else was going to God on your behalf and praying for you. So in James chapter 5, he starts to talk to his readers and to us about what it means to pray and to have people pray for you. And basically what James is saying is, I should talk to God about everything, everything in my life. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. I want you to read along with me in James chapter 5. The the page numbers and the verses are on the screen as I start to read those. But James is going to be telling us, pray about everything. And you might have come to church for the first time today like, well, you know what? I would expect them to talk about prayer in church. I would expect that. But you know, I have prayed for my marriage and it still ended. I've prayed for healing and I'm still sick. I've prayed for life to kind of smooth out and it doesn't. I've prayed for a job and I'm still unemployed. So why do I want to hear another message about prayer? Because James puts a twist on prayer, not just being something where God, give me, give me, give me, make it what I want, turn, make it all turn out the way I want it to turn out so I can say you answered it. James says prayer is much deeper and much different than that. We treat prayer... Like a term that was started in 1975 in late December when Roger Staubach was wanting to win a playoff game. He was a quarterback and he threw this pass and he didn't know who was going to catch it. And somebody caught it and they won. And the Minnesota Vikings didn't go on to the next level. Afterwards, a reporter asked Roger Staubach, wow, that was awesome. What would you do? And he said, I just said a Hail Mary and I threw the ball. And the term Hail Mary Pass was born. Hail Mary prayers have been around for a long time. But the Hail Mary Pass that you hear every football season, we got three seconds, throw a Hail Mary. And that, you know what that means? Just throw it up and see what happens. 
Let's just throw the ball and maybe somebody will catch it on our team in our end zone and we'll score. A lot of people treat prayer that way. I'm just going to throw one up and maybe sometimes something will happen. I'm just going to pray and I'm just going to throw up all these requests, all these things I want God to do in my life and maybe something will happen. And James says that prayer is much different than just a peppering of requests, requests, requests. And so he starts out by asking three rhetorical questions of his readers about what's going on in their their lives. And it's in chapter 5, starting at verse 13. He says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. So, does anybody have a hardship? Because it's not just, it, it, it's more than just trouble. It's not just being in trouble. The word me, literally means hardship. Is there something difficult going on in your life? Now, our tendency when we have a hardship is to pray this prayer. Oh, God, get me out of this. So It's not going the way I plan in life. It's not going the way my comfort likes. So, God, get me out of this. And that's what we put upon God and say, God, I have a hardship. I have trouble. So get me out of it. And that's not always the best way to pray. Of course, if I find out I'm sick today, the first prayer is, God, heal me. I don't want to be sick. If I find out something horrible is happening in my life, the first thing I'm going to pray is, God, take this away. But James is saying, look, those of you with a hardship, he's going to go on to talk deeper and deeper about prayer, but we just, our tendency is to want out of a hardship. When sometimes... More often than not, the hardship is what makes us stronger and helps us understand God and feel a closeness to him we would not feel otherwise. When I was a freshman in college, I had a rule. If I went into a class and the final was comprehensive, I dropped it. I was like, I'm not going to have to remember on day week 16 what you talked about on week first. I'll see you. I'll pick this up when I'm a little more mature as a sophomore, okay? And I'll drop it. And a lot of people, school's starting back up, so you're going to class, and, and, and you go in a class, and it's like, this is too hard, I'm going to drop it. But when you stick with it, when you stay in there, you start to learn something, and those classes tend to be the best ones. The teachers, as a kid, that I hated, turned out, those were the best teachers, because they're the ones who cared. And so when we have this tendency to want to escape anything challenging in life and say, God, make me this beautiful, you know, daisy-laced life on earth is what I want, and you're God if that happens, and you're not God if, you, if it doesn't, miss the fact that it's the hardship in life that sometimes teaches us the most about God and the most about life and equips us to do God's purpose in our life. The story of professional surfer Bethany Hamilton is an inspiring story. And I'd only seen about it on the news until the movie came out called Soul Surfer. If you haven't seen that movie, it's very inspiring. It's about a girl when she was 13 years old. She's much older now. She got her arm bit off by a shark. But she still became a professional surfer. And not just a professional surfer. This movie that she had a lot, of, a lot to do with chronicles everything going on in her life at that time. How she questioned God. How she felt betrayed, but also how her faith made her stronger. Here's what Bethany Hamilton, a girl at 13 who lost an arm and will go through life 
with just one arm. Here's what she says. I have thought this every second of my life. Why me? Not negatively, like why did this terrible thing happen to me? But more like, why did God choose me? And what does he have in mind for me? I don't pretend to have all the answers to why bad things happen to good people. But I do know that God knows all the answers. And sometimes he lets you know in this life. I mean, that was from a teenage girl. Sometimes God lets you know. Sometimes he doesn't. So James would say, are you having hardship? Point number one, pray. That's what you need to do. And then he says, oh, if you're happy, because some of you are happy. If you're happy, then sing songs of praise. But happiness is really not the best way to translate what James was trying to say, even though that's what's in our English Bible. It's much deeper than the word for happiness. Happiness is getting what you want, isn't it? Happiness is having the job you want, the perfect relationships that you want, all the cool toys in life you want. That is happy. And when you see somebody with that, you say, man, they got a happy life. James is talking about something much, much deeper. In fact, the word for happiness is only used in one other episode in Scripture than in James. I mean, the word happiness is all through Scripture. But there are other Greek words that are translated happiness. This particular word that's pronounced euthomeo, which just means to be of cheerful spirits, is used in another section of Scripture. The only other place it's used is in the book of Acts, chapter 27, when it's talking about the Apostle Paul and a shipwreck. And he's trying to encourage these people who had been through the shipwreck because they were trying to spread the message of Christ. And there was a shipwreck. And he ends up saying, have courage. And this word, euthymeo, that's translated happiness in James is translated courage in Acts. So what James is saying is, have courage, have joy that's much deeper than just getting what you want on the surface. If you're able to endure trouble and hardship in life and still understand there's something greater in life than just you and getting what you want, sing about it. Praise God for it. Have you watched, ever watched two people go through the same problem but approach it very differently, whether it's job loss or tragedy in life. And some people approach it with anger and fear and, and just hating life. And some people are like, you know what, like Bethany Hamilton was. Sometimes you get to know why and sometimes you don't. Either way, God's still in control. And what James is saying is have courage. And when you get to experience that courage in your life, praise God about it. So are you happy? Are you in trouble? And then he asks another question. Are you sick? Are, are you sick? And the word for sick is not like a teenager would say, that is sick. You know, it's not that, that's not the word. You know, first service, a bunch of teenagers sitting here, they're like, sick, man, that is cool, I'm sick. James means sick. He means weak. Are you weak? Here's what you're supposed to do, James says, when you're weak. Now, some scholars say this means physically ill, and some scholars say this means weak and spiritually ill. I think James intentionally makes it to where it could be either one. It's a little bit ambiguous. I personally think he's leaning on the spiritually sick side for reasons I'll tell you in just a moment. But he's saying, are you weak? If you're weak, here's what you need to do. It says, if you're sick, weak, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
Now, these are people who were used to older men in their synagogues because they used to be Jewish. The elders, the people that were just older, more knowledge, been around a lot longer. And he's saying those are the kind of people. You go to people who are deeply rooted in their faith and you ask them to pray for you. You don't just expect that they pray for you. You go ask them to pray for you. Get in touch with your spiritual leaders and ask them. If you feel weak, you need to come and ask me. You need to come and ask any of our other leaders, our other pastors on the staff. Pray for me. And people do that all the time through writing. And we have a, a special place you can go online and, and submit a prayer request. This is pastors only. And only the pastors are going to see it. And every one of those we get, we pray for that person. So when you ask them to pray for you, it says... They're going to anoint with oil in the name of, pray over them and anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. Now that sounds a little weird, like you mean that sounds a little icky, right? Just pour oil over my head? Anoint, like what, what is the purpose of oil and prayer? In the first century it had, not only did it have medicinal purposes, it had very spiritual purposes and ceremonial purposes. And so he's saying when these elders pray for you and they lay their hands on you and they anoint you with oil, you have this leader's touch upon you. Not that the power is in them, but this symbolism of the Spirit of God being upon the person being prayed for. Also involved in the anointing with oil is physical touch. When I prayed for the team up here, I put my hands on AJ's and Cynthia's shoulders to pray for them as leaders. Not that there's power in my hands, but there's just something about physical touch. And if you've ever watched the documentary or the news about how in, when, when there's an AIDS ward full of AIDS babies, especially in Africa, and people go in and hold the babies, the babies who are held live longer. The ones who are, that are touched that are held close to a grown-up's chest and held, something about human touch makes them live longer than the ones who aren't. No medicine, nobody's doing anything, but holding them and touching them, that is the power in human touch. So when you're anointed with oil, a leader touches you. I just prayed for somebody today, and the moment I put, their hand on my, put my hand on their shoulder, they started crying. And they started just sharing what their prayer request was. There's power in the human touch when you say, I want my leaders to come and pray for me. And here's the result of that prayer. Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Why is James including sin in on this? It doesn't make any sense. He's talking about prayer and he's talking about people being weak, but now he brings sin into it. Well, in their culture, the people who would originally read this, they connected sin and sickness. If you were sick, the first questions they would say is, what have you been doing? Got a cold? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got the flu? You did something, boy. I want to know. That's how they would have thought. Could you imagine every time you're sick, your parents saying, what did you do? Because you're sick. In, in, in the book of John chapter 9, Jesus heals a young man who was born blind, and the first thing his disciples say, these are like, this, this is Jesus' star team. The first thing they say is, who sinned so that guy was blind? Jesus is like, it, no, he didn't sin, his parents didn't sin, but 
God's work is going to be displayed in his life. So James is letting them know, hey, if they've sinned, powerful prayers will forgive sin too. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote to the shipwrecked people in Acts 27, in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he prays that God would remove this physical ailment, whatever it was. He doesn't say what it was. He just says he prays for God to remove it. God didn't remove it, but God responded. And to however he understood God to say it, my grace is sufficient for you. So you may be saying, well, I've got this thing in my life. I want out of it. And God is saying to you, my grace is sufficient for you. And you may walk through life not having everything you want, not having the perfect physical body that you want. And God says to you, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes God heals. Sometimes he doesn't. I don't, I don't know why. And anybody says they know why, they don't know. So if somebody starts saying, I know why, they don't know. They're just talking. They just want to sound cool. They don't. I've prayed for people and they've been healed. I've prayed for people and they weren't. And I don't know why God does it that way. But what God does do 100% of the time is he will heal someone spiritually. Anybody who's ever wanted to be whole spiritually, God has made them whole. Anybody who's ever prayed, God make me whole spiritually, God does it 100% of the time. And James goes on to say, okay, so if he sinned, he'll be forgiven. So therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You mean I got to tell somebody what I did? Yes, that's what James says. Of course. How much better does it feel? I remember one time as a kid, I stole something and I was scared to death my mom was going to find out about it. And I was like, oh gosh, if she And finally, I just told her. I just had to tell her, Mom, I did this. I'm sorry. I just, and I felt so much better after a little while. I felt so much better. And you'll see investigators on TV, and a case is a cold case, and they can't figure anything out. And they almost always say, eventually somebody's going to talk. Somebody in a, in a cell somewhere, somebody on a back street, somebody's going to not be able to keep this inside, and they're going to talk. And James is trying to get people to understand confession is a very healthy thing. Now, people can use it in an unhealthy way, but when it's a mutual confession, it is a very healthy thing for people to do that in relationships with each other. That's why we're constantly saying, get in a small group, get in a small group, because that's the environment in which that can happen the most effectively. And over the next few weeks, you're going to have all these opportunities to get into life groups. When you get in a life group, that's a great opportunity to have a place where you can share your life, your strengths, your weaknesses with somebody else. This section of James is saying that prayer comes from us healing comes from God, physical and spiritual. Verse 17, he tells a story about an Old Testament prophet. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. He's just saying, there was this guy way back there, and he prayed, and one thing happened, and then he prayed again, and another thing happened, When I communicate with God, something always happens. We may not understand it. It may not be what we want. But in God's timing, something always happens. Praying makes a difference. 
about a year ago, I was the most frustrated I've ever been as the pastor of this church. Not with people, not with any staff, not with anything like that, but we wanted a building. We wanted to be in a place that was our own. We were meeting in movie theaters at the time, and it was, it was crammed, and it, we had to get out really quick, and you know, we'd get pushed out, and it, and it did smell like popcorn, which was a good thing, but we, we wanted out. And we would go to these buildings that were available. Most of the time it was a building. And we would literally, I would take other leaders from our church and we'd lay our hands on this building and say, God, we claim this. And this is going to be ours. And this place is going to be full. And our church is going to double and triple and get huge. And we're going to touch even more people than we've touched in the past. And nothing would happen. It would fall through. They would decide not to sell. It would be too expensive and we couldn't afford it. And then, okay, okay, it's not that. We'll go on to the next one. I have literally laid flat on my face on land because I knew that's where God wanted us to go as a church. No question in my mind. This is it. This is it. I feel it. I know it. One time I even got up in front of the church and I showed a map and I said, that's it. That's where we're going. I just want you to know. You can trust me. You can trust me. It's where we're going. And if any of those things had worked out that I thought was the right thing, What's happening right now in the life of our church wouldn't be happening. Our west location wouldn't happen because we couldn't afford it. Our downtown location wouldn't be happening because we would have this big bunch of debt that we just couldn't handle or be in an area of town where it didn't make sense. And then one day, right up on Durant Road, a place I've prayed before, here's a picture of it. It doesn't look like much. It's just green with trees and all that, but that's that's 10 acres of land that I literally drove, rode, rode my bike out that little road and I sat there and I prayed. And at one time, I had, at one point I had a peace, but on the other side of me, I had no peace about going there because it would take like four years from concept to turn, you know, turn that into a parking lot and a building. And one day when I was praying I, through the trees, I could see this building. And it's ugly now, but it is going to look awesome, let me tell you. It's going to look great. <laughs> It's not even going to look like that. I hesitated to even show it. But it's going to be, it's going to look bigger. It's going to have parking all around it. And, and I, I just pray, God, and there was a business in there. There were all these industrial things around it. And I was like, God, if you could make that available. And I was hesitant to go put my hands on it because maybe it was so, if I put my hands on it, I'd tell it, it would be a great story. But, but I didn't. I just sat on that land and I prayed. And two days later, I got a call and the folks said, Hey, are y'all interested in leasing that building? And I said, well, it, we're really interested. That's really cool. And, but not leasing, it just doesn't work with the financing if we lease. And, and our agent that we had at the time, he's a man very much committed to prayer. So he encouraged me, let's just pray about it. Let's just pray over it. Let's just go up there and pray. And so we did. And the people moved from no way we're ever going to sell it, we can't, to we're going to sell it. We own that building. For the last month, we've owned it. In the next few months, you're going to see stuff being moved around. And, and that's going to be Life Point on Durant Road. That's five acres. And all together, we have 15 acres in that, that big old building. And it's not even close to the plan I had a few years ago. But it's better. And you might be sitting here today having prayed for your, your marriage and it's not turning out the way you thought. Your health and it's not turning out the way you thought. Maybe your child just went away to college and you're devastated and you're just praying, God, keep them safe. One thing you need to know if you're that person praying and a little bit of you is like, you know, this is really not going to work, is that God hears every one of those prayers. And he might let you in on his plan really early or really late, but you can be assured that he hears you. You may have never opened your mouth and prayed 
out loud or even to yourself. But if you did that today, right now, God would hear you and he would act because you've communicated with him. That section of James where he says, if, in chapter 5, if you're happy, sing songs of praise. Some of you could come up and tell stories much more moving than the story I just told about that building. You could say, I prayed for this, and listen what happened. You could say, I prayed for this, and this got better, and this happened, and maybe I was healed, and not just emotionally, but physically, and big things happened in my life because I prayed. We're going to end this series of James with doing just that, with praying. With you having an opportunity as the band sings this next song, just go ahead and stand up now, look at the words, sing the words, and praise God for the courage that he gives each of us in life to get through whatever we need to get through. So, so James said, when you're in trouble or when you're happy, sing songs of praise. But he also said, when you're sick, when you're sad, you're caught in sin, not only just you sitting there in your seat praying, but ask people to pray for you. We could not end this series without giving you an opportunity to say, pray for me. So the band's going to keep playing a couple more songs, and Joel will dismiss you when it's time. But as they, as they do these last couple of songs, you may just want to sit there in your seat and pray. You may just want to read the words of the song. You may want to sit down and pray with the person next to you or go find somebody in in here you already know. And you may just, this may be so new to you, you just want to sit there silently and all that is okay. But as these songs play, I'm going to be sitting right down here. Our site pastor, Rob Perry, will be over there. One of our elders, Sean Whiteside, will be here with me and his wife, Cindy, will be on the other side couple ladies and and guys will be in the back if you're more comfortable walking towards the back for someone to pray for you and as these songs play and you hear these words ask the leaders of your church to pray for you and if this whole Jesus thing is new to you and you're like how do I get in on this come and talk to us and we can guide you through what it means to accept the message of Jesus Christ you can do that